Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for listening. I am your host and coach, Tyler Johnson. If you're a return listener, we would love your feedback, rating, and review, share, or like. And whether you've tuned in today to elevate your mindset, your game, or just your day, you are in the right place. This episode, I bring something a little different. We have two guests joining us. One is the author of four books, What Drives Winning, What's Really Important, What Drives Winning Teams, and What Drives Winning Environments. He's a consultant and speaker, and he co-founded the What Drives Winning Conferences with Hall of Fame coach. She has over 500 victories. She was retiring as second in all-time wins in Division I soccer. She's been the Florida Gators coach since 1994 and coached 17 All-Americans, national championships, both at the NCAA and NAIA levels. Welcome to the Elevate Podcast, Brett Ledbetter and Becky Burley. How are both of you today? Excited to have two guests today. We're excited to be here. And I think you're excited because it's the first time you've had two on. Yeah, you know, uh, so double dose of wisdom and excited to have you. Let's dig right in. What drives winning? Brett, I'm giving you that one first. <laughs> well, this, the whole company started off of a TED Talk that I gave probably about 10 years ago. And the whole concept around that was to focus what was in your control. And we asked so many coaches that question. And we looked at the word goal. And we, the, the definition of goal was the result which effort is aimed. And so oftentimes, results are outside of our control. And we want to focus our energy on the things inside, which is the effort aimed at the result. And through our basketball academy, we work with fifth through 12th graders, guys and girls. And we had a really good process in place, but some would achieve, some wouldn't. We started to ask the question why, and we backtracked all the way back to the human-related issues, and that's oftentimes where the snags were. So we focused our energy on character development, and Becky had heard through a colleague, a mutual colleague, that she should come up and observe our footwork process. And so she came up and Becky, I think we spent maybe a couple hours talking about character development and we really didn't get much to the footwork. And then you say, come work on my team. It's true. I mean, I just was really impressed with the way that Brett was using media and questions and integrating that with his academy and asking these kids so many like just introspective questions. And uh, so he came and worked with my team. Some of the other coaches at Florida sort of caught on to what we were doing. They got interested. So then we created this um, like collaboration of all of our head coaches where we would meet once a month. And uh, as we were doing that, you know, I don't even remember exactly how this next step happened, but Brett and I were like, well, what if we did this instead of just with an athletic department, what if we did it across the country where we invited people from all across the country to come in and talk on this subject? And, and that was the first conference. Rock on. Well, you guys kind of, covered the other question about how you guys kind of connected the, the footwork <laughs> drills. Um, I always love hearing stories like that. Um, you guys, you know, got a, a clinic coming up in St. Louis, um, coming out of this, this pandemic. What are you guys most excited to, to get out there and work with coaches again? What, what excites you most about this upcoming event? 
So for me, Tyler, what, what the focus of this particular conference is going to be on is what drives winning leaders. So typically each time we have a conference, we have a theme and it's really around self-awareness and the questions that leaders are asking themselves. So here's where I'm going to challenge you if that's okay. Yeah. If I had a transcript of maybe the last year of all your thoughts, what would be some of the most dominant questions that I would see through your thought sequences? Hmm. I think, uh, I mean, be honest, I, I, you'd see some question yourself, you know, am I, am I doing this right? Is, am I pleasing my wife? Am I doing my, the work I need to do? Am I fulfilling, you know, the relationships, people around me, but yeah, probably, you know, questioning myself sometimes. And as I think through some of those questions, Tyler, which one as you externalize that is most dominant? Um, I don't know. As I think about it. Um, What's beautiful is your, your listeners are just going to hear this interview. Yeah. But what Becky and I see is an unbelievable look of introspection. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Right. You got me, you got my gears grinding, you know, for sure. Um, I think the most dominant one is, you know, yeah. Am I in that kind of, you know, questioning or self analysis, you know, am I living up to my potential? You know, am I, am I, am I strive? Am I reaching what I can fulfill? And so Tyler, what I would challenge, and this is how so many of our collaborations start is with a question. Yeah. Just like what drives winning, it's a question. Who knows the answers? And it's different for everyone because we're all so unique. So Tyler, if you don't mind, my question to you would be, what are your drifts? So there's doubt around the, that question. So what is causing some of the doubt for you? Um, I, I don't know. I think just uh, part of it is a drive to be my best self and be the, bring the best version of myself, whether it's to my family or my job or, or whatever I'm doing, I think is, is what, what drives that. And Becky, one of the most powerful questions that we had with Florida collaboration is what are you holding on to that you need to let go of? So Tyler, I'm gonna give you a chance to think about that. Becky, do you mind sharing with the listeners how powerful that discussion was and maybe some of the main takeaways you had from that question. Well, it was a, it was a super powerful discussion. I think it, you know, you Tyler talk about getting your gears grinding. That was happening in our room too. And um, you know, it's funny because the coaches lives are such at a pace that's just like fast, 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 fast. And we rarely take time to um, think like this on a regular basis. And I think that's one of the best things about our collaboration and, you know, our conferences and everything that we're doing with what tries winning is we're asking people to take time and consider these things. But in our collaboration, I would say that a lot of times it was just about approval. It was about how do I make sure that I'm doing the best job for the players, the fans, my administration, like all these different constituencies that a coaches. Um, the approval, if they're, if they're really seeking that approval, that can really get you bogged down. For sure. For sure. So Tyler, how would you answer that question? Oh, the, what do I hold What am I holding on to? I think there's just uh, 
you know, some of it's just classic imposter syndrome that, you know, uh, that we get, you know, and being a former athlete, you know, when you're in the, in the arena, there's a scoreboard, you know, you can always check, see where you're at. Um, sometimes in life, there isn't a, a scoreboard to check, see where you're at. So you're, you seek these approvals and uh, self judgments uh, in places that, you know, don't serve us. So I think, you know, what am I holding on to? I think it's just sometimes just, just general, you know, am I good enough? Am I doing this right? You know, I think that, that we all have at some level. And Tyler, what's so fascinating is if you talk to the people around you, they would say, how is he even questioning that? <laughs> right. Because there's this huge body of evidence that would suggest otherwise. And that's what I'm interested in understanding from you is you have all this evidence that of course you are, but there's still a thought that comes in that maybe I'm not. How do you interact with that? Uh, I, usually, I mean, drown it out with my own self-talk is what I try to do. Um, you know, I think there's try to talk, talk to myself more than I listen. Cause I think that, that we all have got that voice. Um, so for me, it's, it's drowning it out with, with, positive self-talk, uh, you know, what is what works for me. And it's what's so fascinating to me is when people listen to their thoughts, if they observe just, Hey, where did that come from? I was literally just on a call and Becky, I'd like to bring you into this with a coach and so many athletes that play at a high level have some sort of gift that they're blessed with. And so whatever lessons, that the people around them are plugging into them, positive or negative, that, that's gonna get reinforced through outcome validation. So they're gonna take that on as positive reinforcement that my way is right, even if it's unhealthy, because they haven't stepped back to examine, is this actually productive in my life? And then when another voice comes in and tries to undress the truth to them, that can be scary because now I'm abandoning everything that I know to find my next level, which is completely unknown. Becky, what are your thoughts on that? Wow, that's a, that's a lot to think about because, you know, it's, it's really hard. I think uh, Jack Clark, one of our participants in one of our conferences said this best, it's, it's really hard to audit success because you have success and that success is is in itself giving you the feedback that what you're doing is right. And so in order to continue success or raise to the next level, you have to audit success, but it's very difficult and it's a courageous choice to do that. And I think it's, um, it's not rewarded often in terms of um, people being willing to do that when they're in the middle of success. What are you thinking, Tyler? I like your questions, man. I like, you know, I always like, you know, I like getting flipped this podcast a, a little bit and, um, you know, putting me in a vulnerable position, but I think, you know, vulnerability is one of the things we talk on this podcast that leadership and so many great things, you know, stem from that. And I think, um, just Tyler, let me ask you a question that, that's along those lines. All right. So it, it, what would you say the fruits of your labor are? Um, helping fruits of my labor, 
helping people create a positive vision of themselves to reach potential. Give me more. Um, fr more fruits. Um, uh, helping sh shape people's mindsets that, you know, that they can achieve. Um, getting them to see and become and lead through their authentic self and getting kids to understand that their authentic self is unique and that's where their power, power really lies. If they want to be a leader or if they want to be successful, um, you know, being your authentic self is, is something that I, I help. I, I hope that kids and student athletes that I work with is something that, that they find uh, as a power well, source. I'm going to challenge the hell out of you, man. Is that all right? Yeah. So all those things are outward focused, which shows to me that your heart is so much in service. And I think Becky would see that too. What I think is so interesting, Tyler, especially when you think about imposter syndrome and all these different things, is the number of people, Becky sent me all the information on your podcast that you're exposing yourself to is remarkable. And I would think the biggest proof would be the different perspectives you're inviting into your head and your heart because what your listeners are seeing through your growth is your evolution. And I think about all the things you just listed, that you don't even have to work at that. It's just happening. Sure. Becky, what do you think about that? <laughs> It, it's true because Tyler, you mentioned, you know, um, vulnerability is a big part of your work. Well, I think when you're having on people with different opinions on your podcast, you're inviting vulnerability because some of those thoughts may contrast thoughts that you've already had. Um, some of those thoughts may be different from previous guests you've had. Like it's just, it's opening your mind to other people out there and, you know, think about how many people are just unwilling to even take that step. Yeah. What question for you guys working with coaches, how do you get them to understand sometimes that the power of that vulnerability and how they can leverage that as a coach? It's so hard because in sport, you're placed in a survival mindset. And so when you ask people what strength looks like, give me examples. They're going to show you hardworking. They're going to show you focused. They're going to show you competitive, all these different things. The challenge is, is when you draw a line and you're trying to dominate your opponent, that does not work well in management. And so as you shift from being the performer to the person that is now trying to facilitate an environment where those performers can do their best work, the skill sets required are vastly different. And so we look at real strength, you look at reconciliation, you look at compassion, you look at inner peace. Those are the transcendent leaders that we gravitate to. And so it's so hard to talk about those while you're in the athlete mindset, because you're so focused on like dominating. Yeah. And I think that as you, you make that switch, you start to see it, but it's the same thing we just talked about that you get so much validation for being the driver that when you tell a coach, Hey, there's another level, but it's going to require something that's completely foreign to your life experience. Yeah. They like to be in control and that's inviting uncertainty into their life. 
And so the ones that make that jump are the growth minded ones that are saying, it's just like your face when I'm, and again, your listeners can't see it. <laughs> you're, when I ask you these difficult questions that you have no idea, we didn't prep for this. Right, you're like, right. let's go. Let me go explore a part of myself that I haven't been there. Yeah. That is not normal, especially when trust hasn't been laid. And so I think it's just gradually building the trust to where they'll explore themselves. Becky, we did that with Florida. Can you speak to the process of how you observed it with your colleagues? Well, let me just start at the end of, well, where we are now. I hope that's not the end. But I think right now, like the room for us when we have our head coaches collaboration is so willing to be vulnerable and so open-minded to hearing other people's experiences that, I mean, it's really, really special. I've never been around anything like it. And I don't think many people have. Um, but to get there, it, it definitely took some time and it took some people having a willingness to have that same type of mindset, Tyler, that you have today where you're willing to put yourself out there because, you know, competition and vulnerability don't seem to exist in the same stratosphere sometimes. <laughs> and I totally agree with Brett. Like when you're the competitor, when you are in the arena yourself, you know, so much of what you rely on is what you bring to the table. And when you become the leader, you're trying to bring all these people together and if you're just relying on yourself again, I mean, it's a real problem because you're never creating the space, the environment, the mindset for other people to share their gifts. You're probably just trying to mold people in the same place that you were as a competitor. And sure. I think that's a very, very big shift. Yeah. I can say I, when I was a, a college athlete, I wasn't as vulnerable. <laughs> I was, you know, don't, don't talk to me about feelings, you know, uh, you know, don't, I've got my mindset, you stay out of my way. Um, but um, I remember so when I, I was telling Becky, I, I worked with the Positive Coaching Alliance. I remember we were doing a retreat out, out at Stanford several years ago and this professor they brought in to do some education. I forget his last name, his first name was Parag, but he did this like four hour workshop and he had like half, we're all crying, like, we were, it was like deep vulnerability, like just, just what Brett was doing and just prying and more and more. And I never came, I was kind of, you know, as a football player, like this, you know, not, not a normal workshop that we're used to. Um, but it was, I came away in like that three or four hours, like knowing more about myself and though just the unique way he kind of pried and challenged and, and dug at this self-awareness. I was like, Man, but I also, I think that the lesson I took from that was when I really became vulnerable, I was really more capable to, to learn um, and see with a broader perspective of, of some possibilities. So um, for me, I, that makes me think of it. It's like I read this thing uh, last night, actually. It said to exist in a healthy relationship, one must divorce oneself before yeah and if you're the center of everything what happens is you can you, you reinforce to your partner certain things and then they become a prisoner to your reactions yeah a conformist as opposed to the essence of who they are and i think what he was getting at is to embrace who you are and to understand who you are and to understand what triggers you. 
Yeah. And I think about everything you've said thus far, if I was going to ask you what evokes the strongest triggers when you see something happen that sets you off, it could be small, big, what are they? Well, that, that make me upset or agitated? Yep. Um, people not treating people well with respect. I think, you know, people that, that sets me off. <laughs> um, people not, you know, giving people genuine or, you know, respect or courtesy. Um, I think those kind of little things, um, set me off. Um, people taking, knowingly taking shortcuts that aren't good for them. <laughs> I'm sure we, we've all seen, um, that'll be, be a, a bugaboo, but, uh, those are a couple that come to mind. And if, if you listen back to this, that can tell you so much about yourself. And, and we think about the most transcendent leaders that we've been around. Like, they don't get frustrated with meeting people where they are. Yeah. Most people look at it and they're like, they should be further along. Like, why am I having to teach this? Not saying that's you. But think <laughs> about the coaches that you're surrounded by. If an athlete doesn't get it as quick as they want them to, how that evokes emotion in them. Yeah. And our transcendent leaders are able to meet people where they are. And that's the purpose. That is the purpose. And then through love, they can get them there. Becky, what are your thoughts? Am I getting too spacey? No, I was thinking this morning, I, I, was, I was in a conversation where I did not meet people where they were because I was impatient. And I looked back. I mean, I knew it at the moment. As soon as it came out of my mouth. Um, but I think the challenge is, is to remind yourself to meet people where they are and not have to have people get to where you are. And, you know, I think the process for me is, okay, it, it came out of my mouth. Can I fix it afterwards? Can I get to the point where I stop myself before it comes out of my mouth? <laughs> That's the next step. Well, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you guys, um, both working with student athletes, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing about the student athlete experience, what would you want to change? I don't know if there's one thing that I will, I can just say the first thing that comes to mind with a lot of the athletes that I work with, they have fixers around them. So they make choices and they don't have to experience the consequences because there are people around them that clean it up for them. And so as they get higher and higher, those consequences get higher and higher. And eventually it gets to a place where those fixers cannot fix it. And now it's on the individual to navigate the situation. And because they've never had reps at dealing with the consequences of their choices, they're paralyzed. And I think that the more we can let life and sport be the teachers and we are the facilitators and the interpreters, then we can help equip them with the interior fabric to deal with the adversity. So when they do raise levels, they're able to self-sustain. Love it. And I think my answer to that would probably be similar, but different in the sense of, um, I think self-trust is a huge factor for people in general, but I especially think the athletes that we deal with from 18 to 22, you know, you're, you're moving into a very unique part of your life where 
you are literally becoming your own person and you're sort of almost divorcing yourself from your socialism, the, the socialization that you've had prior to getting here. And so if I could help people speed up the process of trusting themselves, and that's probably going through some of what Brett, Brett said, you yeah. know, making Getting mistakes and learning from them. Um, but that to me would be a really great gift to give to someone. And Tyler, one of the cool things you could do, man, is if you listen back to this and you hear some of the things that you said, if you observe that person as if it was someone you didn't know and you could give advice to that person, it would be incredible at how you would coach that individual. And then if you take your own advice, that is the process on how you get younger people to understand how to trust themselves. Sure. One of the ways anyways. No doubt. I love the, uh, the fixer steal and the reps is a, is, is a tragedy sometimes. <laughs> I remember, I remember when I just as a youth athlete, you know, it's like, I don't know, I lost my temper at a baseball game or something and threw my helmet down and my dad's like, Nope, we're going home. And remember he dro drove me to like, the coach's house, I had to like knock on the door, apologize, you know, go to the, go to a teammate's house. Sorry. It was like, it was like, no, you gotta be accountable for your actions. You, you know, that's not good behavior. Go apologize. And it was like, Hey Tyler, so the humility on those door, the humility I learned on those doorsteps as a, like a 10 year old. <laughs> well, it's, it's amazing that you say this because there is an NBA player who's going to be a hall of famer. The exact same thing happened to them. So the, but the dad didn't see anything wrong with it. So the coach approached the dad and said, Hey, we can't have your son acting like this. And the dad pulled him from the team and he said, you guys are average. The competitive fire that burns in my son, that's what's going to get him there. Well, what happened was it did get him to a very high level in the league. But now he is the biggest advocate for mental health in the NBA. And it's because he, he had so much pain that he had to fight his demons because he wasn't on those doorsteps facing the consequences of his choices. And he, he did it later in life. And now he is speaking out against it. So the irony of that uh, story is crazy. Yeah. That's um, uh, good. Good. Lucky to have a great dad. Um, one other question I'd like to ask our guests. I'd love to hear from both of you. How do you define success? That's what I love about what drives winning is it's a question. And winning is so different for everyone. So for me, I think it is the ability, and this, this is actually out of a great book called The Psychology of Money, the ability to do what you want with who you want for however long you want when you want. And if you can take that and back that with a strong purpose of service in life, I would say that the achieving freedom to fulfill whatever moves your heart would be success. Love it. What are your thoughts, and Becky? Well, my answer to that would be really simple. It would just be peace, but that's not so simple, right? Because then you've got to figure out what does peace mean to you? Sure. And I think, um, I think of peace as like freedom from disturbance. And so freedom from disturbance means like all those things that we were talking about, like when Brett asks, what is it that gets you riled up? 
I'd love to get to a point where I don't get riled up. I, I don't know if that's possible, but that would be ideal. Love it. Um, one of the other things I, I love about just conversation and, and what I know about what drives winning is, is the emphasis on questions. Um, I don't know how many times I've had conversations with coaches and they're like, how'd you find that out? I'm like, I asked them. <laughs> I just asked, like, what did you ask them? The question that I just told you, <laughs> like, like just, just talk. But um, for coaches out there that maybe sometimes, you know, feel like they don't want to interrogate kids. I find that kids like answering questions while they might be on the spot or, or uncomfortable at first, eventually there's a lot of just power to create relationships and trust to coaches that maybe should ask their athletes more questions. What advice or, or guidance would you give them and in, in why they should ask more questions or the power within it? So if I had to have answers, I would not be in any of the rooms or work with any of the people that I work with because the higher the level you go, the more competent, those individuals usually are. And they're experts in their own situations. So for me to think that I can come in and fix their problem, would they would view that as very arrogant and they would be right. So for me, I think that questions produce a two-way conversation. And so many coaches are great at telling and they're afraid to not have the answers. And what I've learned is the best coaches I've been around are worried less about having the answers and focused more on having the right questions. Because even if you do have the answers, isn't the goal to get them to where they don't need you anymore and they can be self-sufficient? And yeah. so sometimes having the answers can help you formulate a question that can point them inside themselves to where they need to go, to where they find it for themselves. Love it. And I would, I would say my answer to that would be like when I'm working with, you know, 18 to 22 year olds, sometimes the best question that I can ask them is what's the most important thing we should be talking about and let them guide me to the place that they need to go.